that change your life and please let the rock hit. All the stuff that we brought for the Santa Cruz. Christ 116, I pray to Christ. Once lost that fan, but we damn it crazy. And the stars all stuck, but we fan like never Santa Ray. So beside to the good in a fan who like, cause the gospel is good. In the past, I don't think y'all understood. Now y'all done messed up, let us out in your hood. We got the windows down. And when we finna cruise, we trying to glorify the Lord with what we listen to. Okay, we brought that cross moving. We brought that lamb Hello, everyone. We're live from New York, and I would love to welcome you to Explicit Gospel. As some of you may know, my name's Veronica, and I am your host today and every week. So <laughs> today we're going to be talking about the 21st chapter of John. If you've never listened in before, all you need to know about this show is that we open up the Bible every single week on Fridays and we read it and then discuss it a little bit. I really pray that this show can be encouraging to those who are seeking and following Jesus, especially to those in, in the younger generation, especially to those who are millennials. Millennials are at the end of the day are going to be the future generation. There are going to be the future generation of leaders, of pastors, of missionaries. And I think it's so important to pour to pour into them. I am a millennial myself and I am just so tired of those in the older generation telling me and, and telling others that because we're young, that we can't that we don't know how to follow Jesus, that we have no hunger for God. But that is not true. I think in so many ways, I've seen people my age and, and even younger just have a hunger and thirst for Jesus and have a hunger to to share the gospel, have a desire to follow him. And in so many ways, I believe that we are at an advantage mainly because so many millennials to this day don't have a lot of commitments. And so if you accept Jesus or decide to follow Jesus once you're older and you have a family and you have a wife, it's really hard for you to drop a lot of your responsibilities. But for those of us who are following Jesus now, who had the privilege of listening to the, to the gospel and, and deciding to follow Jesus now, we have that amazing opportunity of dropping everything, literally everything, and following him, whatever that may look like. In some cases, it doesn't even have to look like moving to another country or to another state or to another city. Sometimes you don't even have to move out of your own block. All it takes is for you to have a genuine desire to follow Jesus and a genuine desire to share him Okay, so before I start, I know I already started preaching, but um, <laughs> but before I before we start talking about the twenty first chapter of John, I'm going to pray for the Holy Spirit to bless this time. Father God, I thank you. I thank you for this time, Lord. I, I pray that that you would be in the midst of us today. That you would be 
in me, Father God, that you would be the one speaking, that it wouldn't be me, Father God, that whatever it is that you want others to hear, whoever is listening, whatever you want them to hear, that you may express that through me, Father God, that I may just be a vessel, that my thoughts and and my that my thoughts and my values, my predispositions, whatever it is, um, that that wouldn't get in the way of me preaching your word in the way that you would want me to preach it, Father God. I pray that this message would be nourishing to people's souls, Father God. I pray that this message would be meat for people's souls. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I was praying throughout the week about what I felt God wanted me to talk about this week, I felt this very, very deep moving. I feel that this has, I feel this has been a very common, very, very common theme. I think I was looking for a word there for a second. I believe this was, has been a very common theme in my life in the past few weeks, if not months, not only within myself, but I see so many people coming up to me just brokenhearted and absolutely ashamed of, of things they've done. Of, And I think my heart for today is to tell you that God can use us, that he can use you, regardless of how broken your story is, regardless of what you've done, because every single one of our sins has been nailed to the cross. And so I honestly feel that the passage that I'm going to be used today is a little unconventional when it comes to speaking about shame and and how to deal with shame. But I think the reason for that is mainly that we that, that this passage reflects the character of Jesus. The completely, completely graceful, merciful, and forgiving character of Jesus. And so we're going to be reading today from John chapter 21, uh, verses 15 to 19. If you would like to follow along, I have the English Standard Version. That's the version I read every week. So it says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, 
do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where, where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So I want to give a little bit of a context behind this passage. Right here, they. this is actually after the resurrection. The, the resurrection is actually described in the previous chapter of John in chapter 20. And this is after Jesus had resurrected and revealed himself to his disciples. And so here he's sitting with Simon Peter. And as you may recall, if, you've, if you're familiar with the Bible, that is, Simon Peter was actually, he actually denied Jesus. Even though Jesus warned him, Jesus told him, I tell you that before, before the, the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Simon Peter was devastated and he couldn't believe him. He couldn't believe it yet. Bef yet before, before that same night, before the sun rose up, Peter had, uh, Peter had denied him, denied Jesus three times. And this was someone who got to walk personally with Jesus. This is someone who was discipled with, with, by Jesus. This was someone who Jesus would open, open the word of God to him and show him every single passage that directed or, or that proved that Jesus was the Messiah. I can't even imagine how devastating that must have been for him to repent of denying Jesus. I mean, at the end of the day, we're all responsible for our own actions. But I can't even, I can't even fathom how much pain and suffering he must have felt at that time. At the end of the day, Simon Peter, yes, he... He did sin against Jesus. I mean, isn't every sin against Jesus? But the important part, I think, about this particular story is that is mainly that Simon Peter was able to repent. And, and now we see him after the, the resurrection of Jesus. We see Jesus telling his disciple that he wants to use him, that he... I'm trying to phrase this in a way that would make more sense. What Jesus was telling Peter, if you if you see how Jesus is talking about is talking to Peter. Jesus didn't even come back to Peter and tell him, "Hey, you you denied me. I know that. I just came back from heaven." And I, and I know exactly what you did. No, Jesus didn't come in an accusatory, didn't come to Peter with an accusatory tone. 
Instead, in this passage, we see that Jesus was completely forgetful of his actions, completely forgiving, because that's part of forgiveness. Forgiveness is treating other people as if they had never as if they had never sinned against you, as if they had never wronged you. And I think the only person that ever walked this planet that is actually was ever actually capable of, of doing that was Jesus. So I want to explain a little bit about why Jesus asked, uh, why Jesus asked Peter if he loved him three times. So to us, the... The, u- the word that was originally used in the Greek text was actually, it for, at least for the first two questions, was actually, I don't even know how to pronounce this. So forgive me if you know how to pronounce this. But I, uh, the way I can best pronounce it is ag- agapeo. Um, but basically, <laughs> I'm so bad at pronouncing these things. This word means... It speaks of an of an intelligent, thoughtful, and purpose love involving the entire personality, but primarily a decision of the mind and will. But the other word that is used, and please forgive me again for the mispronunciation, is filio, which is the last, when we see Jesus asking Simon the last time if he loves him, the actual Greek word used is filio, which mainly speaks of a, of a warm, a tender, a natural, a more spo- spontaneous sense of feeling and affection. In other words, it would be a, a more emotional love. And, and through these two words, I think that Jesus points out that Peter's love has to be some kind of commitment of his mind, but not just of his mind, but of his heart, that it must, that it must be a love, not that is only expressed by by purpose, but also by personal attachment. And in that way, I think that, I think many, I think Jesus is constantly asking that of us. He's asking us, you know, are you willing to do anything for me? Are you, do you love others? Do you truly love me? And if you truly love me, your calling is to love him, to, to love, to love me as Jesus, if Jesus were asking to, to love Jesus, to know Jesus. And that love has to be characterized by personal attachment, by clinging, clinging to Jesus in the same way that a newborn child clings to his mother. But it also has to be motivated by purpose. You see, Jesus described his followers of as lambs and, and as sheep. And he suggests, and in this passage we can see that he suggests that his lamb and his sheep need to have loving, capable and, and faithful leaders. They need leaders who will feed them, who who will care for them in the same way as a shepherd takes care of his sheep, protects them from wolves. Uh, it takes them to to tall grass to grass that will nourish them 
And so in this way, I think, and so in this way, this, this passage really amazes me because here's this person, here is this person, Jesus, who has failed you, who has absolutely failed you. And that is going to be the leader of your church? Are you serious? Are you serious right now? And I, and I truly believe that this speaks to me, and I hope that it speaks to you in a deep way. Because we've all failed Jesus. We are called to walk in righteousness, yes, but we are never promised that we won't sin again. We are never promised that we, that we won't fail him, that we won't fail Jesus. We're never promised that. And it's just so hard for me to fathom that even though I, I wake up on most days and I think, oh my goodness, Jesus is so good and so perfect. And I am absolutely despicable. I am a disgusting human being. I am a broken, rotten sinner. And yet everything Jesus wants is a vessel. He just wants a vessel so he can use you. I am not disregarding the idea of repentance so that you can accept Jesus into your life. Of course, if you haven't repented of your sins and told Jesus that you are willing to live for him, I don't think I could consider you a Christian. At the end of the day, that's what it says. That's what the Bible says that says or, or points to when it comes to the actual conversion of a real disciple or follower of Christ. But you know, one of the biggest lies I think that are that is told at churches these days, I think one of the biggest lies, or maybe this isn't necessarily a, a lie that's directly told us at churches, but I, this actually is a lie that is believed by most Christians, or by many Christians, is that when you share your testimony, you're supposed to say something around the lines of, oh... Well, you know, I I was a sinner and these are the horrible disgusting things that I would do. Yet, I accepted Jesus and everything was great. You know, still still there there was still there was still suffering, there was still there were still trials, but Ever since then, I've never looked at pornography ever again. Ever since then, I've, I had never had a, an ounce of alcohol. Ever since then, I, I've honored my parents. Ever since then, I've done, you can plug in whatever righteous thing it is that you think that others have done. And that is a lie. You know, the more I walk, the more I walk this walk, I realize I used to think that Christians were people who didn't drink or didn't party or didn't have sex, didn't do drugs, didn't look at pornography, didn't do all these things unbelievers brag about doing. But you know what? I realized that that couldn't be farther from the truth. I'm not saying that Christians deliberately do those things. I'm not saying 
Christians don't have any conviction of doing those things. Of course, if you don't have a conviction of doing those things, I can't even consider you a Christian. But what I can tell you is that more and more, I have people coming to me telling me, hey, can you pray for me? I'm doing drugs. I want to follow Jesus, and I struggle with this. Or, hey, I just, I just fell into sexual sin the other day. Would you pray for me? I need Jesus now more than ever. And while it pains me and why, no, that this is not God's will for our lives, that this is not exactly what Jesus intended us, uh, intended for us to do. Jesus died for all of our sins, past, present, and future. Jesus never came to us saying, you know what, as soon as you receive the Holy Spirit or as soon as you decide to live for me, you will never fail. That's far from the truth. And if you believe that, you have been deceived by the father of lies himself. I think this is such a beautiful example of the forgiveness of Jesus. I mean, of course we could talk about the cross. But I think but the the main reason why I decided to or why I feel that God put it in my heart to use this this specific passage is because here Jesus He's giving someone who failed him, someone who forsaked him, a specific command. And it's a specific command in ministry. You see, Peter was not anyone when when it comes to the gospel. Peter was someone who advanced the kingdom of God, who God used mightily. And so I want to encourage you, if you, if there is something going on in your life, if, if there is something going on in your life that you can't get over, if you say, oh my goodness, I, I thought I was walking in righteousness and then I fell again into this, into this hole and now not even Jesus can take me out. I can tell you that you're wrong. I can tell you that Jesus is there and he's ready to forgive and all you have to do is repent. If you consider yourself a Christian, Christian or non-Christian, please repent. And I can tell you that even if you consider yourself a Christian, just because you did, just because you committed a sin, doesn't matter how big it was, how big you think it is, you have not lost your place in the kingdom of God. You have not lost your place because that shame that you feel is the power of the Holy Spirit in you. That shame that you feel is a conviction. And there's two different kinds of shame. At least there's two different kinds of shame that we're going to talk about today. One is the kind of shame that you feel after you committed something wrong or you committed a sin. 
I think that that shame is is what God uses to break your heart so that he would turn your heart back to him so that you would repent and bring your sin and your need to the foot of the cross. But there's another kind of shame. There's that kind of shame that after you have brought that that sin to, or that particular need to, to the foot of the cross, and, and you've repented, and you believe that God, wholeheartedly that God has forgiven you, there's that shame and that voice that keeps going on and on. Oh, but you did this. You slept with this man. Or you watched pornography three months ago. Or you smoked that one, that one joint a few, a few weeks ago. And you're the one, you think that Jesus is going to use you? To share the gospel? You think that Jesus is going to further your ministry? You think that Jesus is going to bless your ministry? Now that, my friend, is called shame, but that shame doesn't come from God. That shame comes from Satan himself. If you have repented of your sin, doesn't matter how big or small that is, at the end of the day, I truly believe that the sins that the sins we've committed in the Bible, sin is sin at the end of the day. It doesn't matter if you got got drunk, if you slept with someone, if you lied to your parents, at the end of the day, sin is sin, it's sin and it all offends God. But if you feel you have truly repented, if you feel that you have truly walked away or turned away from that sin, There is absolutely no reason why you should feel shame in your heart because you can walk in full confidence that Jesus has forgiven you and that Jesus wants to bless your life, that Jesus wants to further your ministry. And there are people who come to me and tell me, oh, Veronica, but you know what? I, I, know, I, I, I know that I haven't struggled with or, or done drugs or done whatever it is that you think that sin that's overpowering your life is i haven't i haven't fell into that temptation in months but i just fell into that temptation again last week and i still feel like i struggle with this temptation and i don't know how to get rid of it and i can tell you today that you can speak victory over that sin that Jesus has already overcome the world. I can tell you today that that sin isn't you to, isn't for you to overcome. It's not your job. All we can do is literally repent and pray to God that He will keep us, that He will not lead us into temptation, just like it says in the in the Lord's prayer, that He will not that he will keep us in a, in a in within a sound mind so we can be rational and and rational enough to not give in to that temptation so that we could have enough love for him to not give in to that temptation
And I'm going to turn the table a little bit. If you are the kind of Christian and you are going around and telling people, for example, I, I, I know this one person whom I adore, but this person once told me, you know what, Veronica, if you walk into a club, your testimony is ruined. What? That couldn't be farther from the truth. That could not be farther from the truth. And I'm not here to talk about the possible temptations that there could be at a club or at a bar or or even in the house of that friend that you know is is a drug addict or an alcoholic or whatever it is that you think you struggle with. I'm not going to talk about those temptations, but I'm going to tell you that just as much as it hurts God for you to sleep around or for you to do drugs, for you to lie to your parents, for you to dishonor your parents, for you to not love him, in that same way, it hurts God for you to be self-righteous. And if you are one of those Christians that are telling people that their testimony is ruined or, or you feel like you're, you haven't had that much grace or you're not showing as much grace to people, when they're coming to you and confessing their sins wholeheartedly because they need repent because they need to bring those sins to the cross because they want to fully repent because they want to be delivered from their sins and you are not encouraging them in that way you are just as broken as they are you are just as broken and if you don't believe me you can read the bible because it's all there. It's all there. Brother or sister, don't let anyone tell you that you can't be used by God because that is far from the truth. I don't feel like I have anything else to say. I really hope that this was nourishing or encouraging to your soul don't give up on God he's not going to give up on you keep seeking him fast pray ask others to pray look for a community hold tight to a community cling to Jesus because no sin no sin is too far gone for the one who died for you no sin is too far gone and if you are truly repented of that sin or those sins or whatever it is that you, you completely feel ashamed about, know that your heart is enough for Jesus. Know that your repentant heart is enough for him. And that your debt was paid at the cross. All you have to do is accept that payment. Accept Jesus into your life because he's the only one that can fully satisfy you. Whatever it is that you think is satisfying you, it's not going to satisfy you. Only Jesus. I don't care what other people are saying. 
There has not been one man in history, one woman in history that has walked this planet who has followed Jesus and been disappointed. Not one. So what would make you the first one? Give your life to Christ. Father God, I I thank you, Lord. I thank you for your grace and for your mercy. And Father God, I pray that you would teach us to be merciful and graceful, not just with with others, but also with each other, with, with ourselves as well, Father God. And I just pray that this word encourages someone. I thank you, Lord, for everything you've done for us, for sending your one and only son to die on the cross for us. Father God, I pray that you that you protect us from temptation. That you will allow that you've pro- you did promise us that temptation would would come, but you also promised us that you would be with us. And I pray all these things in Jesus name. Amen. find you in the doubt and to know you is to love you and to know so little else